0: 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 10, says this. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, another says, I follow Cephas, still another says, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember it if I baptized anyone else. By the way, I find this so humorous that this is in the Bible. Paul's like, I baptized this person, but no one else. Oh yeah, I forgot. I baptized that person. If this was like 21st century, he would just be deleting. But you're using like parchments, and it's kind of expensive. And you know, he's like, ah, let's just keep going. Don't you love the fact that God turns and God uses our humanity to write His scripture? Don't you love the fact that God uses your fallible minds to reveal His infallible mind? Isn't that great news? It's, to me, it's a beautiful thing. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. I'm really tempted. Every preacher is tempted. Every speaker is tempted. Every public speaker, TED Talker is tempted to, let's go be eloquent. Let's go be articulate. But my prayer today is that the gospel of Jesus is going to come through with power. And that he's going to set prisoners free. And there's some of you that need to be set free today. And I've got great news. The gospel of Jesus is about to do it. So Lord, have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Let's do it. Did anybody go to the game last night? That Colorado game was something, was it? Oh, wait. (laughs) There's something about a team that's united. When I was a kid, I'd play sports, and when a team was on the same page, the team was strong. And when a team was on the same page, a team was able to do a lot of stuff. But when a team got divided, when a team would start to fight, when you'd go back to the dugout or go back to the sideline, and when you could watch one player yelling at another player because he didn't hustle and he says, get out of my face, you could see the team falling apart And it never went well because teams divided against themselves do not win. And Jesus would say, a kingdom divided against itself does not stand. The flip happens if you've ever walked into a stadium where there's 90,000 people and they're all saying together, we won't back down. When people are on one accord and they say, oh, hey, baby, there ain't no easy way out hey baby, I won't back down. When everyone's on the same page, it's like it says in Psalm 133, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's, it's like the precious oil that flows on the head, on the, on the head of, of Aaron, running down on, the, on his beard, running down the, the, the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon. It's, that's the place where the Lord commands the blessing, life forevermore. There's a power that's, That's in unity, and yet what Paul says here is, I want there to be no divisions among you. Now, it's interesting because we're studying the church at Corinth, and we're reading through the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's interesting because this church is a zoo. This church is a mess. This church is immoral. This church is heretical. At every turn, this church is jacked up. I mean, this church, they've got people who are committing incest. There's people sleeping with prostitutes. There's people that don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. There's people that are, uh, get, when they're taking communion, they're drunk. There's a lot of stuff to correct in this church. Surprisingly, what we found out last week is that Paul does not start by rebuking them. He starts by reminding them of who they are. If you belong to Jesus, you are a saint. You are a child of God. You are brand new. In other words, before you tell people what they need to do, you gotta remind them who they are. That was last week's sermon. You're a child of God. You're a saint. I would expect that once that's out of the way, he's now ready to get down to it. All right, let's stop being immoral. Stop it. Get better. Be better. Do better. Interestingly, before he gets to the scandalous behavior, he doesn't deal with sexual immorality. He doesn't deal with gender issues. He doesn't deal even with false doctrines like the resurrection. I would think that would come first. And yet, before he goes there, he goes here and he addresses division. Why would he be doing that? Well, division is more destructive than, than we realize, actually, we're going to find out. Division is, is more costly to a church than we often assume. It's more toxic in a marriage. It's more destructive with parents and children. It's Worse for a microchurch, it's more catastrophic for a department or a business or a workplace. And so Paul says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of Jesus, that, that you all agree with one another in what you say. Now, how can you do this when clearly we've got different opinions? While there's different opinions, he says, I still want there to be agreement. Agreement does not mean you, everyone has the exact same opinion. It does not mean everyone has the same preference. He says, I want there to be no divisions. This word divisions, it's the word schismata. It's where we get the word schisms. It's, it's a word that would be used for a shirt that's been ripped. When a shirt's been ripped, it's got a schism, it's, it's been ripped. He's like, I want there to be no, no, no ripping apart of that stuff among you. He says, I want you to all be united. Now, can everyone say united? Now, put this Greek word up here. Sometimes there's a Greek word that's helpful, okay? This is, it's, a, it's a Greek word. It's got two parts this is a, a Greek word that it's a compound word that that gets translated in different play, different ways, but it's this katardizo. It's this idea of in Luke chapter six verse forty, it says every student or every disciple, when they've been fully trained, they will be just like their teacher or their rabbi. It's the word that gets translated "fully trained" in Luke six. In Galatians chapter six. There's a verse where Paul says, Is anyone overtaken in a trespass? If they are, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. It's the word that Paul uses for restoring someone that's fallen into sin, that you restore them. It's the same word. It's it's the same Greek thought of of a restoring, of putting into order. Interestingly, though, when we come to Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1, it speaks of these future disciples of Jesus and it says they were mending their nets. It's the same word that gets used for mending of nets because Jesus is going to call some fishermen where he's going to say, come follow me and I will make you to become fishers of, of men. What's curious is that fishermen spent the majority of their time not with a pole in the water, they, not even with a net in the water, the majority of their time was actually spent mending their nets. Why? Because... As a fisherman, it doesn't matter how many fish are before you, you could throw the nets in and you could be on the verge of the greatest catch of your life, but when the nets are broken, no matter what comes in, when there's holes in your nets, you're going to lose what comes in. What Paul is letting us know here is just like fishermen, when they go out to go catch fish... The reality about life is there's not something wrong with your net when your net gets broken. your nets, It's natural that your net's going to get broken. That's what happens because you throw your net into the water and you catch fish. You also catch boots. You also catch knives and other things that can rip. You also, like my kids, when gum gets in their hair, sometimes you just got to cut the stuff out. Sometimes you'd have to cut the net To mend the net, which is why the majority of the time of a fisherman was spent doing this, it's this idea of mending, restoring, putting back in order. And what Paul says is, I want there to be no divisions. I want you to be perfectly, and this is where we get the word, united. But in God's mind, you. United is more like what a fisherman does when he mends his net than just two, oh man, we just have a real, compa- see, unity is not the result of compatibility. Unity is not, it cannot be the result of simply philosophical agreement. Unity is the result of people willing to cooperate with the good shepherd, the good, the good fisherman that reveals to us that we are those that mend and mend and mend and mend. And we want to go out and fish, but to go out and fish, you first got to mend And this is really the starting point of the sermon today is that division is more destructive than we realize because division causes you to lose that which God is trying to give. Division causes you to lose the joy that you got at church on Sunday and by Monday it's gone because the nets aren't mended. Unity is the the mending of the nets but division will cause you to lose via holes in the nets what God was trying to do inside of your heart. you get great ideas that you lose. You'll lose your sleep, you'll lose your peace, you'll lose your joy. Families lose their purpose. Couples lose that sense of togetherness because division is more destructive than we realize. When the nets are good, we catch the fish. When the nets are good, we catch our joy. When the nets are good, we catch our peace. When the, when the nets are good, we catch ideas and remember them. When the nets are good, we, it's, it's odd. $10 when the nets are good is better than 20 when they're not. Because you're not losing what God gave you. And there's a lot of us that have prayed that God would give us things, and he does. But we lose the very things that Kevin gave us because of divisions on earth. Jesus created an open heaven when he died on the cross and the veil of the temple was torn. The gospel opens heaven, but division blocks the open heaven. It almost feels heretical to say it, but in verse 17 here, he says, watch out lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now the cross has power. The name of Jesus has power. The resurrection has power. And yet we're reading a paragraph in Scripture that says, Beware, because as much power as the cross and the gospel and the resurrection have brought into our lives can be nullified by divisions allowed to remain. Division is more destructive than we realize. There's going to be a lot of things to address in this letter, but if the nets have holes, you won't catch anything. You won't catch anything. This is why in a family, when the, the, the mom and the dad are divided, and they've got all kinds of, listen, moms and dads, I get it. Oh, my, my, we need to address my child's behavior. She came in at 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, and we got to address my, listen, I, I get all of that. What Paul would say is, before you address the behavior, the immorality, the failures of the children, let's look. Is the family on the same page? Unity. Unity mending. I, I, I like it because sometimes I feel like, well, unity, you just either have it or you don't. No, no. Unity is not something you have or you don't. Unity is something you mend yourself into. And there is a time to cut some people off. And there is a time to, when, but, but can I just be honest? The culture we're living in is very undiscerning about, All right, they're toxic for me. They, they trigger me. I'm cutting them off. What we've done is we've cut and cut and cut and cut. Next thing you know, our nets are about this big. Because we've cut every we're dead to everybody. We're dead to everything. Oh, don't get me wrong, there are times when you have a parting of ways with someone that is the exception to the rule after a long series of trial and error of mending and mending and mending and mending the nets. Because division is more destructive than we realize. So what's the answer? To have an open heaven, you need a united church. This is really this entire sermon in a nutshell. In verse 11 here, when Paul says about this, my brothers and sisters, I've heard from Chloe's household. He's re- this letter is a response to a letter that was sent to Paul. They've informed me that there are quarrels among you. There's, there's fighting that's going on. See, if I were the enemy, what I would do is I would divide and conquer. If I were the enemy, I would do whatever it takes to get you in your ego to get offended, hurt, disturbed because someone did you wrong. I would get you to take up an offense on someone else's behalf. Our culture is so offendable right now, we even take up other people's offenses. And what we don't realize is that the enemy is snickering behind closed doors, behind curtains. Like a Wizard of Oz pulling the strings, not realizing if he can get you convinced, oh, dang it, look what they dang them, darn them, whatever. And what Jesus wants you to do is to go mend nets. I'm not mending. I want to be right. I want to be justified. Watch, friends. There are times that you could be right and you won't be righteous. There will be times you're absolutely right, but you violated the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is why Paul said, or not Paul. This is why Peter says to husbands, husbands, you better be loving to your wives, because if you're not loving to your wives, your prayers won't get answered. He doesn't say anything to wives, so I don't know how it works in reverse. <laughs> I don't know if he's like matriarchal or something like that, but he's like husbands, bro, bruh. suck it up. It's like I won't. He's like, well, then heaven's going to be shut. I, I, I won't. Then you're going to have holes in your net, and God's gonna, you're going to want God to bless you. Don't you understand there are some times when it's better to be united than anything else? See, to have an open heaven, you have to have a united church. The reason we don't have an open heaven is because believers will select things. They, we are selective. That's what was happening at Corinth was people, everyone kind of had their little pet doctrines, their pet projects, their pet stuff. They were selective. Like, well, I, my, my, the thing I really emphasize is this. And there's a part of this that's good. Spiritual gifts are good. Getting in your lane is good. Here's what's happened, though. In the culture we live in, not only do people want to find, it's the age of what spiritual gift are you? What Enneagram type are you? What's your Myers-Briggs? What's your? We're in the age of all this. Oh, and then, But we actually use... We've used some of these descriptors of ourselves as excuses. of, I'm sorry, I'm an Enneagram eight. I don't have to do that. That's just how I am. I'm an Enneagram three. Sorry, I'm an introvert. I'm I'm exempt from that. I'm an extrovert. I'm exempt. I'm an extrovert. I I just talk too much. You just got to suck. No, it's so we've got a so rather than saying things like "Let's go be like Jesus," what we've done is we've been confused by by selecting certain projects, certain philosophies, certain causes, and we'll say things like. Well, man, I just got to stay in my lane. Well, here's the catch. I go get in my lane, and I expect everybody to get in my lane with me. And then when someone else has their lane, I'm like, hey, bro, I I can't really help you with that because I got to stay in my lane. How convenient that you stay in your lane, but you want me to get in your lane with you. And then we divide over our lanes, and we divide over our causes. And you see this nowhere more than when political season comes up and election season comes up, and you've got people say, well, I realize... This party might not be perfect, but it's better than this party because, because of what? Because of your lane? Because of your issue? Because of, of well, this issue? I, there's a lot of issues. Do you understand that Jesus has more than one issue? Do you understand that elephants and donkeys do a very bad job of carrying the kingdom of God and the King, of glory? You'd sure think, man, by the way, man, you would sure think that, that, that Christians over the last couple of election seasons were different, but we were just like the first century Corinthian church, separated, schisms, fragmented by all the selectivity, all the things that people had selected. See, this is where Paul, it seems like when he gets down, he says, some say I'm a Paul, some say I'm of Apollos, some say I'm of Cephas. They, they tell us that there was, in the first century in Corinth, there was a group of people called the Sophists. They were like, you know, Sophia, wisdom, this idea of these orators that would travel around, they would gather crowds, and they were orators that would charge a lot of money for you to come and hear them, and the better you were, the more the crowds came, and and they would come, and they would kind of come, there would be competition between the different sophists. Between these different philosophers. And so one would bring this philosophy, and people would say, Oh man, I don't even know that I totally agree with it, but this guy's so articulate, I listen anyway, and I love it. And sure enough, they would persuade people in that direction. Other people, they had these philosophies, and, and you had these fighting, it was it was this interesting competition of ideas, and they would come together. And this letter at the very beginning, it's almost like Paul says, Hey, followers of Jesus, we are not like the philosophers. 21st century followers of Jesus, we are not like the politicians. They're going to try to divide us and conquer us by getting us to split and fragment. But we've got one thing that unites us His name is Jesus. The message is the gospel, the kingdom is heaven. And we've been so tricked into failing to realize that what you really want are the blessings that come with a net that's mended. But when the net is fragmented, when the unity is compromised, when when that happens, I'm telling you, you, you could be like, you want so bad for someone to say I'm sorry. You want so bad for, for someone to be exposed that we are in the age of shame where we so badly we would rather have people shamed than for God. Do you understand the bountiful blessings God longs to put in your nets? Do you understand how much peace he wants to give your life? How much joy he wants to bring your family? How much prosperity he wants to put into your hands? How many ideas that he wants for you to get? Do you have any idea how the blessing of God is better than everything else? La bendición de Jesús es mejor que todo. It's better than everything. I always like finding out who speaks Spanish in the room. (laughs) La bendición de Dios. El favor de Dios. The presencia de God, the glory of God—the glory and favor of God—are better than everything else. To have an open heaven, though, you have to have a united church. To have an open heaven over your family, there needs a united marriage. To have an open heaven over your household, the roommates need to be united. Paul comes in and says, "We are not like them. We are not like the philosophers." I know there's an election season coming up. I just—I'm trying to stack the deck the last couple elections, Christians were abject failures. I'm praying to God that in this next election, people are going to look at us and be like, what in the world happened? You guys are so different than everybody else. Well, this is how it happens, by the way. He says, you know, what what to do in verse 12. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Now, this is natural. Paul was the guy that, that established and planted the church at Corinth. So there probably was like a a party of people, a group of people, they were very loyal to Paul. I get this. I took over for a pastor that had pastored our church for 25 years. Pastor Lastinger. He was an awesome pastor. So good. So godly. So gracious in so many ways. And so I would start to pastor my first couple of years. I remember I would have people that say, well, Mike, I'm, that's not how Pastor Lastinger would do it. And I'm like, I know. He's on the mission field. I, I wish I knew what he was going to do, you know, because sometimes I... I, w- I wish I knew because I, I wish he was still alive sometimes now so I could call him up and ask for advice. He was such a great man of God. And I've had people say, well, uh, that's, that, that, that's not Pastor Lastinger. And, there's, and, I, and I felt that sort of that, I, I relate to that a little bit when some say, I'm a Pastor Lastinger. Like I go to, I go to this church, but, but I'm a Pastor Lastinger. Other people would say things like, I'm of Apollos. Now, Apollos was interesting. He was, he was a really sharp guy, he came from Alexandria in Egypt. He was educated, well-educated in Alexandria and Egypt. The best university in the Mediterranean world was in Egypt and Alexandria. Apollos was known for his rhetoric, his philosophy, his intellectualism. He he would say words that you're like, I have no idea what he said, but that was awesome. And he would speak or preach, and people were like, this is incredible. And, and, and so there, was, there are people that are like very highbrow, like, oh man, like I was talking to someone recently, and, and I let them know, like, I'm not sure if you heard, but the University of Florida was the number one public university in, in the nation, and <laughs> like the number 15 university overall, and uh, I graduated from the University of Florida, you know? And, uh, and they said, yeah, that, that's great, I graduated from Harvard. I was like, oh, you win, you know? Well, Paul was no slouch. He was from Tarsus, and Tarsus was no slouch, and Paul was very educated. But Apollos was very likely more educated and sort of trumped his educational credentials. And yet what he, and there's some of us that are, we're very much like, well, I I really like to watch the YouTube clips of, or I'm really into, and there's, so, so one faction is like the Pauline, maybe the founders. One is this intellectual thing, whatever. The next one is Cephas. Now, Cephas was interesting. Cephas was the, another word for Peter. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. A lot of us, when we're thinking of, of like racial divisions or ethnic divisions, we think in terms of color. For them, um, there, there might have been some color aspect to it, but it was very much in the church, a Jewish race, and then there were the Gentiles. So most of us would be Gentiles. There'd be some Jews, and there was a there was like a, I don't know, there was a competition, there was an infighting, there was a, there, there, there was schisms that absolutely took place. Sometimes it would be theologically because I've, I, even me, like sometimes I'll hear a Bible teacher and then they're always bringing out their Jewish roots. And I'm like, oh, I love the Jewish roots. You know, say, like, oh man, I don't know if you ever just like studied the Jewish roots of our faith. And it's like, whoa, man, the rabbi said, You're like, oh, that's incredible, you know. And so some of it could be that, but some of it is also, that's my people. You're a Jewish believer in the Corinthian church and there's Gentiles everywhere and, and that's my people. And there's, there's always a tendency to like, go find my people. Like, uh, my man, my woman. There, you, you look at someone and you find your people. You find the people that, and this it's somewhat natural. It's called own race bias, O-R-B. Everybody struggles with this, by the way. Everybody struggles with whatever race you are. Everyone struggles with gravitating toward, giving favor toward, giving preference toward their own kind, their own whoever they are. I'm married to a Puerto Rican. She's Boricua. She's very fully Puerto Rican. Um, she lets me know regularly how superior Puerto Rican food is to American food. Um, what is, what's the food with, with uh, the, the plantains and the um, mofongo? Mofongo is there anything like mofongo in American food? There's nothing like mofongo, right? Is mofongo going to be in heaven? <laughs> I, th- I think so. And Ruthie points out to me, she's like, uh, what do you guys have, burgers? you know?" And it's like, okay. <laughs> and she's like, even that wasn't that com- invented like in Germany? You know?" So I don't know what we have. I think we have like French fries. I think that's what American invented was something that's not even American, it's French, right? So So there's part of this little racial thing that's very natural, but what Paul is saying here is, beware of allowing your chief identity to be in anything other than Jesus. Beware of letting the modifier of your faith become something other than what Jesus himself is and what he's done for you on your behalf. Beware of letting any of your identity become something else. When it becomes your intellectualism, when it becomes what family you came from, when it becomes what race you're a part of, Listen, all that is fine. My wife, in no way does she need to stop being Puerto Rican. God does not negate our cultures. He redeems our cultures. However, there's a danger that comes if Ruthie becomes a Puerto Rican Christian. She is putting Puerto Rican in the adjectival position, and it is the job of an adjective to modify the noun, and when the adjective of her Puerto Rican reality modifies the reality of her Christian self, there's going to be a problem because Jesus never wanted your culture to modify your Jesus. He wants your Jesus to modify your culture. So be Puerto Rican, be extroverted, be introverted, but what you are is a Christian introvert, not an introverted Christian. Because then what you're going to do is you're going to be in settings where God's going to tell you to speak to somebody and you say, well, I just don't do that because I'm an introvert. Or you're an extrovert and you're going to be in a setting where God says, shut your mouth. And you say, well, I can't because I'm an extrovert. And he says, no, no, no. What you are chiefly is a child of the most high God. The king of glory lives inside of you. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. but I'm an Enneagram three achiever. I'm just prone to exaggeration. No, 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 you're a child of the most high God where truth himself lives inside of you. I don't even know what all the other Enneagram things are, but there it is. <laughs> I met someone recently and they said, I was listening to your sermons. I, are you reformed? So your opening question is if I'm, I'm reformed. Are you complementarian? What version of the Bible do you guys use? What's your position on women in ministry? Do you guys baptize infants? Do you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit or only in the name of Jesus? Which, what, how, how long are your sermons? Do, do, you guys sing, do you guys sing any Hillsong songs? Because I heard Hillsong got canceled and we need to cancel all the Hillsong songs. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm watching I'm, and I'm like, wait, what in the world? What, what in the wor- what, what's your take on once saved, always saved? I'm like, I just got on a plane the other day. I said, is that, is that seat saved? <laughs> or someone asked me, is that seat saved? I said, no, but I am, you know, and... That's my position. This seat's safe. It's, you know. Beware of trying to win arguments, and in so doing, you lose the kingdom. Listen, man, there's injustice to address, and there there are real issues. There's people that have really done you wrong, and the Bible says do everything you can to be at peace with all people, and there are times when you got to cut something off, and there is sin to be rebuked, and there is unrighteousness and injustice that we come against and we stand against, but can we please be honest? We have moved way beyond simply standing up for the things that God is standing up for. We have not been standing up for his name and his renown. It has become our name and our renown that's become the desire of our hearts. It's interesting because this word in Greek, they say that the translators tell us that there's a very emphatic, I, it's the word where we get the word ego, put that up there, I, ego, ego, here we go, I follow Paul, ego follow Apollos, ego follow Cephas, and then some smug people probably say, oh yeah, I just follow Christ. You ever met like a sanctimonious person, they just kind of like, they, have, they got like the right answer, I, I just want it to be for He's like, I'm cheering for the gators. And they're like, I'm cheering for the glory of God. You're like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> You're so godly, right? You ever met the people like that? But we're like, the rest of us are like, yeah, the thing is, up in heaven, there's different sections. You know, you, over, you know, over the, I don't know, the Tennessee section, you got like Reggie White. You know, he's representing Tennessee because like the greatest balder ever was, you know? And then over here and, you know, over in the, in the Alabama section, you got, you know, one of these guys that's going to represent them, you know, Tua, because I hear he's a Christian or something. But when it comes, there's going to be a section that's the gator section. It's going to be represented by Jesus. Because <laughs> the sun is orange and the sky is blue, is what they say, right? So there's that, there's those kind of schisms that can come and we say those things in jest. And of course, I'm jesting here, Mostly. But when ego gets in the way, that's the source. I want you to catch this. The source of our divisions, it's not just that everybody... listen, Listen to the brilliance of Paul's argument. The source of our divisions isn't just that the other guys are crazy. It's that I have an ego. But my wife disrespected me. Humble yourself. But my husband disrespected me. He needs to humble himself. (laughs) I'm just speaking for the men. I'm just speaking for the men. No, no, I I mean this where I'm I'm just, I'm telling you, I have found there's times when the situation did not resolve exactly like I wanted, but the nets got mended, the blessing came and I discovered I'd rather have $10,000 in the net than have $100,000 flow through the net that you can't hold on to. God wants to give you blessings that remain. God wants to give you a joy that endures. God wants to give you a strength that even when life is going nuts, everyone else is going crazy, and you've got a peace that passes understanding, and you're like, what does this mean? And the answer is, you have caught something from Jesus, blessings from Jesus, favor from Jesus, but you need those nets to be mended because it's good and pleasant and brothers dwell in unity. I was, I was listening to uh, Phil Jackson describing how the 1990s uh, Chicago Bulls were so great and all the stuff that and you had. And one of the things he said was this was a team that was loaded with egos. Michael Jordan had an ego, and Scottie Pippen had an ego, and Dennis Rodman had an, a wardrobe. I mean, so you had a real team that was, that was just like... they. But when they asked him, how did you do it? And he says, here's the catch. If you want to win a championship you have to have people with very big egos, which is why the chief job of a coach of a championship team is someone that learns to manage egos. Because if you could ever get the egos in check, you could go win championships. Church, is that not the message for the body of Christ right now? If we could ever get the egos in check, We could go win this city. We could go win this state. We could go win this world. The Lord will come back. That's the goal, that the gospel is going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth, and then the end is going to come. But we've got it. The ego has to get in check, which is why if God calls you to this church, just so you know, I want you to love our church. I hope you love your pastor, all that stuff, but this church is no better than some other church. Never, ever say something like, I'm so glad I go to Greenhouse. You know, I'm so glad I'm part of that church. It's so much better. There's something wicked about talking like that. Like if I go up to someone else and say, I'm so glad I married my wife, Ruth. She's so much better than your wife. It's kind of like going up to Deion Sanders and talking about his mama. You just don't do that, you know what I mean? Like, it's not a good move. Not, it's a bad look, you know what I mean? Don't do that. listen, if, if you love your wife go love your wife, you don't need to hate on anyone else's wife to love your wife if you love our church, let's love our church but the glory is to Jesus the only hero is Jesus the only one that gets the glory in this place is him There are churches that blow our church away in a hundred ways. There's preachers in this town that blow me away, leaders much better than me. That's not exaggeration. That's reality. I don't want you here because we're better. I want you here because God's called you here. I didn't marry my wife because she's better. I married her because we are family. If God calls you here, it's because we're family. Not because we're better. Because what do you do when your kid doesn't do better? Do you dump them? No, I mean it. Like, Do we not stick with each other? Because we're family. And isn't that what happens? We're a world that doesn't, in a world, that when the the net rips, we cancel people. We're dead to people. We delete them. And he says, I want you to mend. Because if someone's overtaken in a trespass, 21st century would be, if anyone's overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, cancel them, expose them. Rebuke them, shame them. Scripture says if someone's overtaken, restore them, mend them, unite them. Paul says, as he finishes this off, he says, is Christ divided? Was was Paul crucified for you? you? He's pointing, he's like, wait, guys, eyes on him. Yeah, I founded this church, but eyes on Jesus. Yeah, Paul says a great preacher, eyes on Jesus. Yeah, Cephas, he's, he, people got healed in Peter's shadow, eyes on Jesus. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, he says. Christ didn't send me for that. He sent me to preach the gospel. I remember I was out preaching the gospel when I was a youth pastor. We were doing a, an outreach, a Gainesville outreach, and we would just load up a, a pickup truck with like a big booming sound system with a bunch of bass, and, and I love Fred Hammond, we would just play some old school Fred Hammond, just driving through the streets playing some Fred Hammond, we'd be like, bless, bless, we just, just going in the morning, in the evening, you know, in the field, you know, we all, we're just singing, we're singing, and, and crowds would come, we were, and then when the crowds came, I would get out, and I'd start, and I remember one time I was preaching to this group at one of these things that were, I mean, I don't even know what you call this, <laughs> like street preaching in the hood, you know, And uh, they're like, he's white, but he's playing gospel. What's going on right now? You know, so it's like a very fun environment. You know, it was a very fun thing. And I remember I was preaching at one point and this heckler got up and I was saying, Jesus shed his blood for you. He says, not. Jesus died for you. He said, don't listen to him. I would have sworn the guy was an atheist or a witch. He comes up afterwards and I I, I said, bro, what what are you doing? He says, man, you're not, he said, don't listen to this man. He's not telling you the truth. I said, what did I say that wasn't true? He said, you told all these people Jesus died for all of them, and Jesus shed his blood for all of them. I said, I believe that. He says, don't you, are you not reformed? Because if you're a Calvinist, you believe in tulip. And the tulip Calvinism includes L, limited atonement, which means Jesus limited his atonement only to those that would believe in him. He was never going to, Jesus is, he doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste his blood on someone that's not going to believe in him. So you get up here telling all these people God loves you and died for you. He said, God only loves some of them. What you need to, I said, what would you like me to say? He said, Tell them if you are chosen, God loves you and shed his blood for you. And if you're not, you're damned. I say, bro, I'm not preaching that. I'm gonna go ahead and keep on telling everyone in this room right now, I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you, Jesus desires a relationship with you. Do I understand predestination? Do I understand all the nuances of foreknowing? No, I don't. What I can say is this. You are loved by God. And there is something about a guy that wants to get up and fragment preaching in the middle of, he would He would go and do that because there is power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the gospel of Jesus. This is the basis of our unity. It's Jesus himself. So how do we apply the sermon? I want you to ask yourself today, is there division in your heart towards somebody that you need to go and make it right with? Is there division? And listen, sometimes what this means is you just need to get over it. You've got two options. To follow Jesus, you have two options. One is you really, truly, in peace, with joy, blessing this other person without continuing to slander them, backbite them, throw shade at them, you really are able to, but you know what? It's not a big deal. That person said something in an open setting that embarrassed me and I'm holding it against them and I'm looking for a lot of other things to hold against them, there really is something about I'm letting it go. If you cannot let it go, you need to go to them and you need to mend the net. It's those two options. There are times when someone is so bad, so toxic, so wicked, so evil that you need to cut them off and the scripture even says that. We we actually have measures for that. You go one-on-one. And then you take a couple people as witnesses, and they verify, oh, yeah, this person's toxic, evil, and wicked. And then you take the whole church, and the whole church says, yeah, this person's toxic, evil, and wicked. We got to cut them off. There are times when we cut things off. What I am afraid of is that rather than mending nets, we've got fishermen and We've got lakes full of fishermen that have so many nets with so many holes. We can't figure out where all the peace went, where all the joy went, where all the harvest went. And I want to announce today, if we will commit to God's unity, we will begin to receive his blessings again. And coming out of a pandemic and a crazy time and all the things, is there not a message more needed than how Paul opened to the church at Corinth than this one? It's interesting to me that when I watch the history of revivals, Azusa Street, all throughout history, what Satanists could not stop, what witches could not stop, what warlocks could not stop, division stopped. Division. The only thing that solves this is the gospel. You you will not love yourself without looking through his eyes, and you will not love other people without looking through their eyes, his eyes. It's not enough, watch, it's the unity of the spirit. The unity, it's the spirit, it's the gospel. Only the gospel gives the fuel to make this happen because you will be so distracted with what they did and your ego and how it feels here and your truth and your experience, and it's all true. But there's no fuel, there's no power until lift up your eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. It comes looking up on a gospel tree on a place called Calvary, where Jesus goes up, and he brings unity between God and humans, where God, he bridged the gap, he tore the veil, the heavens were open, and when you look at him who forgave us for all that we've done, it gives you the fuel to mend the nets, I end it like this, the story that I love of New York City, a man that was working for a company that that he had made a drastic blunder that cost millions of dollars for the company. And when they called the department in to settle the accounts, they got in there, the whole team was all lined up. His manager was there. And the higher-ups, they came, and they rebuked the manager for this horrible mistake, this absolute failure that cost the company millions of dollars to which he apologized profusely, took ownership. That's on me. Fully owned it. said, it will not happen again. We will deal with this. Well, the man that did the blunder was absolutely astounded because he had been in many settings where the bosses took credit for what they did not do and shirked the credit for what they did do, but he'd never seen a boss that took the blame for what he did not do. Two weeks, he could not get this out of his head. It was hounding him, and he finally went into his boss's office. He says, what in the heck just happened two weeks ago? He said, what do you mean? He says, you know what I mean. You, You took you took the blame for me and I'm the one that did it. He says, I think you're gonna let me no, but why would you do that? I've never seen anyone do that in business. He said, are you sure you wanna know? He says, I do. He said, then have a seat. He says, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ took the blame for me on a cross where he took what I deserve so I could get what he deserves. And he mended something in my heart, and I don't know, something's just happened to me where everything I do, that has modified everything I do in business now. He said, where do I find out more about this? And he suggested Redeemer Church and Tim Keller's preaching, and this man goes and starts to hear of the gospel, and this man gives his life to Jesus, which is how we know the story at this time. But I'm here to let you know that there is nothing but the gospel that will give you the fuel, because eventually your your ego will get too big for your britches. There's only one thing bigger than your ego, and that's his grace. There's only one thing bigger than all the egos in this room, and that's the kingdom of Jesus, and the grace of Jesus, and the cross of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, and the sacrifice of Jesus, and and how he took what we deserve, so we could get what he, I don't deserve all the blessings he puts in these nets, half the problems in my net are my own doing. But the gospel gives you the fuel to mend the nets. And church, I'm calling us when we leave this place to let our faith in Jesus modify everything else that we do in business, at work, with our kids, modify our culture, modify this next election, modify what we do, and watch when the world doesn't get turned upside down. But if you've never responded to Jesus, it's got to start there.